Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast, the off-season edition. I am Eric Erlinson. From lightninginsider.com coming at you about a week into free agency, a little less into free agency. And there has been a lot that has gone on since we last talked, since I last did something like this. There's been trades, there's been signings, there's been players lost, and there's even been an arbitration situation, which we will get into here in the next 30 minutes or so to kind of give you a rundown of everything that's taking place with this team is, hey, look, training camp is right around the corner. We're into August now. Uh, training camp is somewhere around the third week of Thursday. Uh, season opener is October 12th. That'll be the first game of the season against the Pittsburgh Penguins when the Lightning will once again raise a banner, hopefully in front of 18,000, 19,000 screaming appreciative fans. And it doesn't seem like that's very far away, but trust me, it is close by. Training camp is almost here. We're through the draft. We're through everything. We're through the expansion draft, which is the last time that we kind of talked here on this show was leading up to the expansion draft and what Tampa Bay might do in that situation. Uh, so we'll start right there with the expansion draft. First of all, we know Tampa Bay lost Yanni Gord. That's a huge loss, obviously, for this team, for what he meant for the way that he worked himself up from a player who was undrafted, unwanted, was cut loose by the San Jose Sharks in the middle of a season, and then he turned him into one of the most valuable players, certainly an unsung hero of Tampa Bay's back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. Uh, And with that in mind, the Seattle Kraken did select Gord off of Tampa Bay's roster. And look, we had kind of mentioned before the expansion draft was held, just what would happen depending on who Seattle took. And obviously by taking Gord, it does remove one of those $5 million contracts off Tampa Bay's book. We know the salary cap issues that Tampa Bay had heading into this season. You needed two of those players to find new homes one way or the other. And Yanni Gord's loss is huge. Is his void is not going to be easily filled. He is off to an expansion team, and uh, Tampa Bay obviously will have to find a way to recover from that loss, but it was inevitable. You knew it was going to have to happen. Of course, by now, we also know that that entire third line, which also include Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman, are gone. Coleman signing a free agent contract. With the Calgary Flames, six years, $4.9 million cap hit on that deal with the Calgary Flames. For Blake Coleman, Barclay Goodrow, of course, his rights were traded to the New York Rangers prior to the expansion draft for a seventh-round draft pick, and he eventually goes on to sign a six-year deal with the Rangers. So that important third line for Tampa Bay is no more. Of course, Tampa Bay also lost defenseman David Savard in free agency. He signs a new contract with the Montreal Canadiens, so that's a big right-hand shot who 
really shored up this team's defense when he was acquired from Columbus at the trade deadline and helped roll uh, fill a role that the team needed to try and win back-to-back Stanley Cups, which, of course, we know that they did. Uh, the other big news was the trade of Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson dealt to the Chicago Blackhawks along, along with a second-round draft pick in exchange for the contract of defenseman Brent Seabrook. And I know I got a lot of questions on this. I tried to explain it for my subscribers as well as I could have the benefit of acquiring a Brent Seabrook contract because he's not going to play. Had a back issue that kept him out this year. He was not able to recover, announced in March that he was not going to be able to play anymore and that he was done. So what Tampa Bay accomplishes in acquiring Brent Seabrook's contract from Chicago is very similar to last offseason when they acquired the contracts for Marion Gabryk and Anders Nilsson in exchange for Braden Coburn and Cedric Paquette. What it does is offer long-term injury relief ability that Julian Brisebois is going to be able to utilize when the regular season starts. We know the cap crunch the team is in. They are going to be tight, tight, tight against the cap whenever the rosters are put in. And by acquiring Seabrook, who carries a $6.75 million uh, cap hit, the cash is, you know, it fluctuates. It's not $6.75 million each year. And actually, the three years remaining on Seabrook's contract comes in at $500,000 less than Tyler Johnson is due on the final three years of his deal that carries a $5 million cap hit. But what acquiring the $6.75 million of Brent Seabrook does is it allows Tampa Bay to utilize LTI. And by now, you're very familiar with how, at least the concept of how LTI works. Uh, if you didn't see any of those smack apparel shirts, uh, $18 million over the cap, the, the ire of so many fans across the league because of the situation. But it's because now you have Seabrook. Essentially, what it means is Tampa Bay can exceed the salary cap by roughly $6.75 million when it comes time to submit the final roster. It allows that cushion. Now, it won't necessarily be exactly 6.75. There are certain parameters that have to be done. Basically, you have to push your opening night roster, at least your final roster, submitted to the league prior to the first season uh, first game of the season, you have to push your salary as close to the the ceiling as you can to maximize the use of that $6.75 million cap hit. So it's going to allow Tampa Bay to exceed the salary cap again, not by as much last year because of the Kita Kucherov situation, but it's the same concept. So that is what they gain in acquiring Seabrook's contract. Now, in losing Tyler Johnson, we knew that that was inevitable. It was going to happen, even going back to last offseason in October when the team was in the cap crunch before the Kucherov injury allowed Julian Breezebois to keep the team as together as possible. Um, Tyler Johnson is a big part of this team's success going all the way back to his rookie year 
in 2014. Big moments he was involved with. Think back to the run to the 2015 Stanley Cup final. He actually led all playoff scorers that year. In 2015, was legitimate Conn Smythe candidate. If his wrist or thumb hadn't been broken, ironically enough, by Brent Seabrook during a hit in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. Who knows where things could have gone in terms of whether or not Tampa Bay could have won that series. But that's just how much he meant to this team. And you want to talk about a guy who wins. Tyler Johnson has won a Western Hockey League championship with Spokane. He won a Memorial Cup championship with Spokane. He won a gold medal with Team USA at the World Junior Championships. He won a Calder Cup as a member of the Norfolk Admirals in 2012, the Tampa Bay farm team at that time of the American Hockey League. And now, of course, two-time Stanley Cup champion Tyler Johnson. He meant a lot to this franchise. He helped build this franchise into a perennial contender. And seeing him go, we knew it was inevitable, but I hope... You understand and appreciate everything that Tyler Johnson did for this franchise while he was here. I know he had a lot of detractors over the last couple of years. His numbers, his performance dropped, his role dropped. Uh, Got to give him a ton of credit for the way he handled the past two seasons. Uh, you know, with with the role dropping and then being placed on waivers twice, and the attempt to trade him during the off season last year, and to come in, he didn't have the best. Regular season, but when the playoffs came around and he ends up in the fourth line center role, his minutes, this is a guy that was used to playing 20 minutes a game. All of a sudden now he's playing 8 to 12 maximum, and he had some big moments. It was his play that set up Pat Maroon's winning goal in the clincher against the Florida Panthers in the first round. Of course, the two goals uh, against Montreal in game three of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, so Tyler Johnson meant a lot to this team, and I certainly wish him well in his new endeavor with the Chicago Blackhawks, where hopefully he'll get a little bit more of an opportunity to maybe get back to the 20-goal guy that he has been, and that should be interesting to keep an eye on. All right, so those are the departures. That's four forwards and a defenseman that the team lost. And I find something interesting. Because all along, we've heard Julian Brisebois really discuss that the voids that were going to come, and he knew that they were losing players, it was, again, inevitable, mentioned that it was going to be, those roles would be filled internally. That is, the team looks toward the potential three-peat situation entering the 21-22 season, which we anticipate will be a full 82-game season that those roles would be filled by younger players. So, a Ross Colton, an Alex Barry Boulay, a Boris Kachuk, a Matthew Joseph, at the time Mitchell Stevens, Taylor Radish. So that was the initial game plan. Well, because they were able to trade Tyler Johnson and create that salary cap space, it allowed them to offer an opportunity to bring in some, shall we say, 
veteran type players to fill those roles as opposed to relying just on younger players. And look, I don't, I don't blame, I blame's a bad word. I understand the reasoning here that you lose four forwards to free agency and to trade and to expansion draft. Your top six will remain intact. Andre Pilat, Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Alex Kalorn, Anthony Sorelli, and Steven Stamkos. That's your top six. They stay intact. But did you want your bottom six to basically be Pat Maroon and five rookies? Because that's what you're looking at. Ross Colton won't be classified as a rookie, but he hasn't played a full season in the NHL. He's got 30 games of NHL regular season experience, and then, of course, the playoff experience. So I don't, I, I completely understand the thought process here that as much belief as you have in those players, are you willing to, to roll out your bottom six of five rookies in Pat Maroon? The answer, obviously, at the end of the day was no. Because free agency landed Tampa Bay a couple of bigger names, specifically up front. They bring in Pierre-Edouard Belmar, who has built up a good reputation as a really good defensive forward. He's played, you know, bottom six minutes, bottom six role, first with Philadelphia, and then with Vegas and most recently Colorado. So he can come in and take on some of the defensive responsibility, whether it's penalty killing, whether it's late in game responsibility. This is a guy that can also win some faceoffs for you. You know, gritty type of player. I think Lightning fans are going to enjoy watching Pierre-Edouard Belmar play. So he comes in at the age of 35 to fill one of those voids and the name you heard kind of tossed around a little bit was he can kind of take Barclay Goodrow's role in terms of that pesky, grinded-out type of defensive forward. So he comes in on a two-year deal with a $1 million cap hit over the next two years. Uh, that was on free agency day, July 28th. They also signed a familiar name in defenseman Zach Bogosian. And this is this is an interesting signing to me. Because of how it developed. We know Bogosian was a part of the bubble team that won a Stanley Cup. Came in as a... Um, his contract was terminated by Buffalo. Mutually agreed to terminate towards the end of the 1920 season. Came in just before uh, the, uh, the pandemic hit. Big part of the team in, in 2020. Uh, Stanley Cup championship. Uh, had an opportunity to stay in Tampa. Uh, didn't want to. He wanted more of an uh, of a guarantee, I guess, is the best word. Um, you know, we know if you remember right, Pat Maroon and Luke Shen had agreed to new deals with Tampa Bay on free agency day prior to the 2021 season, but those contracts weren't signed until later. Bogosian got the guaranteed deal a little bit later on with Toronto. Well, as he hit the free agent market again this year, and he was looking around and had some opportunities, had some interest from other teams, this is where I find it's interesting. Bogosian reached out to Tampa Bay because listening to Julian Brisebois speak after free agency, he said that he felt he couldn't reach out to some guys and insult them 
with how little of a contract he could offer them based on their value and their worth. But in this case, it was Bogosian's agent who reached out to Tampa Bay and said, hey, what can you offer? What can you make work? And you end up getting Bogosian, who's made some money in his career, now has his name on the cup, missed out on the opportunity last year, decided he wanted to come back. So you're able to bring in a guy like Zach Bogosian, who can play most likely in a, in a number six role, is alongside um, most likely Mikhail Sergachev in a bottom six situation. But you get him in at three years at $850,000 per year. Bogosian made a million last year for Toronto. He comes in at eight fifty dollars on a three-year deal because he wanted to come back. There's a familiarity. He's familiar with a lot of the players. He's familiar with the coaches. Uh, and as a right-handed shot, it's something that they needed. And he comes in and fills that role on a very team-friendly deal. So that's an interesting addition to the Blue Line Corps. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. And then day two of free agency, Lightning sign Corey Perry, another veteran forward, known probably more for his reputation for kind of walking a line on many occasions. Certainly, Lightning fans are familiar with him for his cup check of uh, Braden Point during the cup finals in 2020. Uh, then Andre Vasilevsky introduced himself to Corey Perry in the crease during the Stanley Cup final this year. But that's the interesting part is you have Corey Perry was on the wrong end of a Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup victory in 2020 with the Dallas Stars. And he was on the wrong end of a Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup victory as a member of the Montreal Canadiens. So, hey, if you can't beat him, join him as the adage goes. And I did have a chance to ask Corey Perry that question when he met with the media the day after he signed during a Zoom call about what some of the awkwardness might be walking into the locker room for the first time and seeing all these players who, you know, took his goal of the Stanley Cup away the last two years. And he had a good answer, as, as you knew he would. Uh, he said, you know what, it, it, it's, it's probably going to be a little awkward. You go in, you give them their congratulations and say, I'm, I'm here to help you win another one. And that'll be the end of it. Uh, so interesting veteran signing, a guy who, again, is more of a bottom line player now. He is not the MVP caliber Corey Perry. He's not a top six Corey Perry, but he can play on the power play. He's a great net front presence on the second power play unit. I think he'll get a good opportunity there. Hey, who knows? Maybe he comes in and gets an opportunity on the first power play unit. We saw Pat Maroon get some looks over the last couple of years in that situation. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Perry in that situation too. But he's a guy, he's a motivated guy who's coming in, who can still score some goals. He's, again, he's not a 50-goal guy anymore by any stretch of the imagination. But if he can come in and in an 82-game season score you 10 to 12 goals, and be a pesky guy, a hard guy to play against, maybe contribute a little bit on the power play. I think you take that. And then, again, you get a motivated guy once you get to the the Stanley Cup playoffs because Corey Perry has won a Stanley Cup. 
You know how old he was when he won that Stanley Cup as a member of the Anaheim Ducks? He was 21. And I saw this with the team in 04, some of the young players at that time, not quite that young, but they were close. Vinny, Marty, Brad Richards, you know, some of their younger core, you know, you win it. You're like, yeah, we're doing this every year. We're getting, we're coming back to the situation every year. Obviously, it didn't happen. It took Brad Richards a couple of teams before he had that opportunity again with Chicago in 2015. LeCavalier never got that chance again. Marty St. Louis didn't get back again until 2014 as a member of the New York Rangers. So it's been another 14-year pursuit for Corey Perry, and that's a motivator. He knows where he's at in his career. He understands his role is different at this point in his career than he was when he was 21 years old, but he's chasing it again. So it's not a it's not this, you know, veteran we have to get the cup for because he's his name is on the cup, but it is a veteran who's motivated to come in and put his name on the cup again, especially with the team that he's he's just lost to twice. And uh, it, it, I, I found that it's interesting. I kind of raised an eyebrow once you heard there was some interest on Tampa Bay's part with Corey Perry. Uh, and to bring him in on a two-year contract, very similar. Actually, the identical deal as Pierre-Edouard Belmar, two years, $1 million on that front. So those were the additions in free agency uh, in a, uh, on top of bringing in goaltender Brian Elliott. Uh, Brian Elliott fits the mold. You knew you were going to have to find somebody that can come in and play 30-plus games during the regular season, uh, especially assuming that the NHL goes to the Olympics in February. You're going to have a bit of a condensed schedule. Uh, Again, that's not finalized, but things are trending in that direction. The schedule that came out does include an Olympic break in it, but again, it has not been agreed upon at this point for the league to go back to the Olympics in February, which will take place this year in Beijing, China. If that's the case, and we assume it's going to be that way, you do need somebody that you can count on to give you, you know, 30 starts in a condensed schedule. And Brian Elliott comes in and provides that, again, on a team-friendly deal, knowing the cap situation the Lightning were in, to be able to bring in Elliott on a one-year contract at 900000 uh, really helps the team out from a cap standpoint. So those were the Look, a much busier day than you would have anticipated on free agency. Uh, as as Julian Breezeball had said before, that they, they did not anticipate they would make a splash in free agency. But they created more of a ripple than I think any of us would have imagined based on the salary cap space they had. Had some players they had to move at the time he made that comment. Obviously, Tyler Johnson gets moved the night before free agency to open up the space to allow all of this to happen. Now, there were some other lower-level signings on free agency day. Charles Houdon comes in after being a member of the Montreal organization for a couple years, never kind of took off despite some really good numbers in the AHL, played last year in Switzerland. Uh, He comes in on basically a a show-me deal, one year's as depth. Uh, how about this one? The return of Andre Schuster. And I had a lot of people reach out to me saying, what are the Lightning doing here? We didn't like Andre Schuster when he was here. Why is he here? Let's keep something in mind first and foremost. Andre Schuster is not being brought back 
to play a top six role in this organization. He's played the last couple years over in Russia, the KHL. He is being brought back for a couple of reasons. The first is he does have NHL experience. He does have experience with this team, with a lot of these players, and with this coaching staff. But he is here solely as a depth signing, as somebody who is going to end up, if everything goes well, spend most, if not all, of his time with the Syracuse Crunch this season. And again, depth, think number eight, number nine, you know, on the depth chart. But in listening to Julian Breesbaugh, this is what you have to understand about the big reason why Schuster is coming back. I've had many conversations with Andre Schuster. You will not find many human, human, better human beings than Andre Schuster. And when you hear Julian talk about how he can kind of come in and be a mentor for a lot of the younger players in the organization, helping them get through some growing pains as a young professional because Andre Schuster has been there. And he can play at the HL level, no doubt about it. But it's because of the genuineness, the leadership abilities, the mentoring abilities that Andre Schuster was brought back. Again, it's a two-way deal. So this is not a one-way deal. This is a two-way deal to bring back a player that they're familiar with, that the coaching staff is familiar with, provides depth, but more, more importantly, provides leadership. And you need that at the AHL level. And that's something Andre Schuster is going to be able to provide for the Syracuse Crunch. So those are the additions via free agency for Tampa Bay, and they're just kind of on the cusp of the salary cap uh, at the ceiling. And the reason that they're close to that is because as we sit here and talk, as I'm recording on August the 2nd, depending, I don't know when you're listening to this and what has happened since I've recorded but they have signed Cal Foot, restricted free agent, two years, $850,000, one-way deals. So Cal Foot will be a member of this team. We'll see how much playing time he gets with the addition of Bogosian. But Cal Foot will be on this roster. He will not because he is no longer exempt from waivers. So Cal Foot is signed. You also have other key restricted free agents under contract. Well, first of all, let's the, the trade of Mitchell Stevens. Mitchell Stevens was dealt to the Detroit Red Wings, so that took some cap issues away because he was under contract for one year. And this will give Mitchell an opportunity to play because it looked like he was kind of rising up the team's depth chart. Suffered the injury early last year. Didn't really show a ton in what time he did play, uh, but the broken foot really set him back, and he just never was able to find his footing and there's just too much depth in this organization. So Mitchell Stevens was moved to the Detroit Red Wings. Another signing I forgot to mention is Jamel Smith. If you've heard me write about Jamel Smith, if you've heard me talk about Jamel Smith, I think this is a great opportunity for him to step in and try and maybe take a regular, uh, at least a semi-regular role on this team. He was re-signed to a two-year, two-way contract, uh, but a, a good opportunity for Jamel Smith to kind of break to get into uh, a regular role uh, within the NHL club because he's looked good every time he's been up. Uh, so we'll see what training camp brings for him. 
the other players who have been signed, Taylor Radish was signed to a new deal. Boris Kachuk was signed to a new deal. And Alex Barry Boulay was signed to a new deal. All three of those guys, you want to talk about saying, okay, open competition here. All three guys signed three-year contracts that carry cap hits just over $750,000. Which I'm surprised that players in this situation signed three-year deals because all of them have opportunities to earn bigger roles on this team. And the interesting part about all three of these deals, the first year is a two-way deal. Years two and three are one-way deals. And maybe that was the deciding factor in agreeing to those deals for those guys. The one guy who has not been signed, Sean Day was also signed to a new deal. Also, by the way, defenseman. Didn't see him last year. He played in the uh, in Syracuse. But the other player who is not yet under contract is Ross Colton. Ross Colton did file for arbitration, so he will have an arbitration hearing or he'll be scheduled to have an arbitration hearing. And a lot of people are asking, well, what's this? What is arbitration? We're not familiar with arbitration. Here's, here's what arbitration does. Player submits a contract they're seeking. The team submits a contract they're seeking. The case gets presented in front of an independent arbiter, arbitrator. Player side makes their case. Team makes their case. And the arbitrator, it's a binding arbitration. So the arbitrator will render a decision which both teams have to abide by with an asterisk. And it doesn't have, it's not like baseball. It's not one or the other. An arbitrator in the NHL and hockey is capable of putting out a different number. But the one thing is it'll either be a one-year deal or it'll be a two-year deal. And I'm not sure at this point what each side is asking for in that uh, aspect. Once it gets there, there are a couple of things that can happen. Because as people are asking, well, what happens if an award comes in higher than the amount of cap space that Tampa Bay has available? And first, this is where the two-way deals for both, or for Barry Boulay, Kachuk, and Radish all come into play because you can technically, right now as we talk during the offseason, count them towards minor league because they're on two-way deals. So you can, quote-unquote, stash them under uh, in, in the AHL. Uh, and this is where, too, because remember, you can go 10% over the uh, salary cap for the offseason. Remember, rosters aren't due. You don't have to be cap compliant until rosters are submitted. So the lighting don't have much space. They are allowed to go about $8 million over the 81.5 cap. They're currently sitting somewhere around 87.2. So there's approximately $2.3 million available in cap space to remain under the 10%. And again, that 10% uh, is going to be um, secured 
mainly with the Seabrook contract. So here's what takes place. No matter what the decision is, let's assume he's he's awarded a one-year deal. He has to be the team has to be cap compliant. The there is a a clause in the CBA that does allow a team if the award comes in at a higher rate does allow for the team to walk away from the deal which would then make Colton an automatic unrestricted free agent. The other thing is by having a player file for arbitration, it triggers an opportunity for a second buyout window. I don't expect Tampa Bay to utilize this this route, but that route would be available to them if an award comes in you know, over that 2.3 mark, which I don't see him making that kind of money, but I'm not on that side of the business. So uh, we'll have to see where things go in that aspect. Um, and then a lot of people are, you know, questioning why, why does Colton go to arbitration? He hasn't earned anything yet. And, and you are not incorrect in that. Remember, he is, because of the age he signed, coming out of college, a little bit younger or a little bit older, this is why he has arbitration rights. And I never, I never, it, it's, it's something that a player has at their ability to force a deal. And by filing for arbitration, he is no longer eligible to sign an offer sheet. It guarantees that a contract will be done well ahead of training camp, which means he will be in camp. So that is what him filing for arbitration does. And it's not going to put them over any sort of a cap situation that they can't deal with. And yeah, it's, the Lightning have a way of finding ways to get their players to sign lower-end deals, team-friendly deals in these situations. But we'll see how it plays out. Uh, the good news is, is that you can pretty much pencil in your training camp roster. There'll be a few here or there. You know, maybe some late signings that we don't see. But this is going to be your roster. This is going to be your team that competes for a three-peat. Uh, I hope I've answered everybody's questions. I hope I've kind of cleared up a lot of them. If not, find me. You know where I'm at on Twitter, at Eric underscore Erlinson. My DMs are always open. Or you can find my work, of course, at lightninginsider.com, my Facebook page, lightning, uh, facebook.com, lightninginsider. You can send me a message through there as well. I will do my best to answer what I can if I haven't answered them here. And look, if, if there's still a lot of questions, I'll do a follow-up podcast and maybe answer some of those if there's enough of them. All right, so that's uh, the next thing we'll look for is Colton's arbitration case, see where that goes, uh, see what kind of hearing that is. Uh, one will be scheduled at some point here uh, by the middle of August, and the teams will continue, the two sides will continue to negotiate, try and work out a deal before it gets to arbitration, very typically Anybody who files for arbitration, very rarely do they actually go through a case. So we'll see where that leads. So just kind of keep that in mind as we make our way through the offseason here. All right, that's going to wrap up things on my end. Thanks, everybody, as always, for listening. Make sure you subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, everywhere you find your podcast. Hit the five-star reviews on Apple. They mean a lot to me. They really help out quite a bit. Make sure you let your friends know that this is out there. So for the LightingInsider.com podcast and LightingInsider.com, I am Eric Rowlinson. Talk to you soon.